are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Poker.Game. Poker.Game is the first blockchain-based play-to-earn game that allows players from all over the world to earn, trade, buy, and sell NFTs through hands of poker. Poker.Game is powered by their token PKR, which is now live and tradable on MetaMask, PancakeSwap, BitMart, and Bittrex. Learn more about the multiple patents that make PKR special by going to pkr.io. A mother and her disabled daughter, just the two of them against the world. That is if you don't take into account the thousands of dollars of charity money and valuable donations, or the multiple awards granted to the two of them for facing insurmountable odds. Add to that thousands of members of the public in awe at the strength both mother and child show in the face of medical adversity. Just beneath the surface of this breathtaking story of a mother and daughter persevering and overcoming overwhelming odds, there lies a darkness, deception, mystery, and murder. In today's episode, we'll discuss the bizarre and depraved story of Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard. Welcome to another episode of the Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I am your host, Dr. Mystery. I tried to create living zombies. Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. All I gotta do is relax and they'll take me to their death. Last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. This is a wicked, wicked world. We are all evil in some form or another. Welcome back, Mysterians. We're excited to bring you another episode. Before we jump in and begin today's episode, I would just like to shout out Houseplant THC drink. I am trying the lime today. So this one's a sativa cannabis, two and a half milligrams of THC. Houseplant lime. Mm. One thing that I really enjoy about finding a new weed beverage is when you find one that doesn't have like a weedy aftertaste, doesn't have that herby taste to it. It's great. This is great. Houseplant, Seth Rogen, shout out, sponsor me, man. Let's dive in. 48-year-old Dee Dee Blanchard was a shining example of a doting mother caring for her ill daughter, Gypsy Rose. Gypsy was wheelchair bound, requiring a feeding tube and on occasion an oxygen mask. With multiple medical conditions, Gypsy's mother cared for her night and day, never leaving her side. One year before the aftermath of Katrina saw the duo move to Missouri, Gypsy was the recipient of the Olay Foundation's Child of the Year Award for 2007. Now, if you look on the Olay website, you'll notice that the recipient of the Child of the Year Award for 2007 has been removed, and I would say, personally, I would say rightfully so. Gypsy had not only lied about her age, she was 16 at the time and not 12 years old as she claimed, but as we move through this episode, we'll see that there were darker secrets that were waiting to reveal themselves. Dee Dee and Gypsy were survivors of Hurricane Katrina, a Category 3 hurricane with winds up to 140 miles an hour. On August 29, 2005, Katrina struck the Gulf Coast of the United States. 
Some estimates state that Katrina caused over $100 billion in damages. Now, the five states along the Gulf Coast are Alabama, Florida, Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. I really hope I got that right. If I didn't, I am Canadian. I apologize. Now, New Orleans in the state of Louisiana was greatly affected by Katrina. Overall, almost 80% of the city was flooded with water, which displaced thousands of residents and killed nearly 2,000 people. With the damage done by Katrina, Dee Dee and Gypsy received assistance to move from Louisiana to a Habitat for Humanity home in Missouri, also claiming the flooding had destroyed all of Gypsy's medical records. In March of 2008, in March of 2008, Gypsy and Dee Dee moved into their new home. This home was built by Habitat for Humanity and was specifically renovated for the mother and daughter. With their brand new home, complete with a wheelchair ramp, a jacuzzi, and other amenities to help with Gypsy's condition, they had a brand new pink paint job and they settled in with their brand new home, complete with a wheelchair ramp, a jacuzzi, and other amenities to help with Gypsy's condition, they slapped on a brand new pink paint job and they settled in to their new resident. In addition to housing assistance, the duo received benefits from charities, including free trips to Disney World. Not surprisingly, with all this attention from the community and all these charities and hospitals and churches raising money and donating to the, the mother and daughter, the pair gave multiple interviews on television. Now on the surface, Dee Dee and Gypsy, they have a loving relationship of a mother caring for her sickly daughter. And the two of them, along with, you know, the support from the community and these charities that I mentioned, you know, they were recovering from a natural disaster that took their home. And that's the picture that everybody gets when we talk about Dee Dee and Gypsy. Let's fast forward to June 14th, 2015, when a post appeared on Gypsy and Dee Dee's joint Facebook account. This post read, that bitch is dead. On Sunday after seeing that Facebook post, many friends were in disbelief. Was this a joke? Did their page get hacked? Should they call the police? As their friends were commenting on the latest status, asking if everything was alright, a new comment or a new status appeared, and it read, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud. LOL. Kim Blanchard, who lived in the neighborhood, was among the first to notice that something wasn't right. And I mean, it's really not that difficult at this point to notice that something's wrong. Although Kim has the same last name as Dee Dee and Gypsy, she's not related to them. She's a family friend. She lived in the neighborhood, and I believe that she lived with her husband. And her husband was also in the documentary, and he had talked about how he had helped Gypsy a lot. Kim met Dee Dee and Gypsy at a 2009 science fiction and fantasy convention held in the Ozarks. And I don't know if I mentioned this earlier or not, but one thing that Gypsy really likes to do is to wear costumes. And Dee Dee and Gypsy, they frequented many conventions, and this gave Gypsy an opportunity to dress up. And one of her friends had talked about how Gypsy wanted to escape the life that she had. You know, she was just in utter pain constantly, and she just had, you know, all this, this negative 
health problems, all these issues that were going on in her life, and dressing up as somebody gave her that opportunity to escape her life. Kim stated that, quote, they were just perfect. Here was this poor, sick child who was being taken care of by a wonderful, patient mother who only wanted to help everybody around her. So after calling Dee Dee's phone several times, Kim and her, her husband, David, they drove to their home and they were surprised to see that there were several neighbors outside of the home. There were tinted windows with like protective film on them. It, it made it difficult for anyone to see inside. But the Blanchard's cube van, which had been donated to aid in transporting Gypsy around town, it was still parked in their driveway. So shortly after they arrived at the home, Kim and David, they called the police and asked them to do a wellness check. There were no signs of disturbance. There was no sign that anything had gone wrong at the home or it had been broken into. So the police said, we are unable to enter the premises. But David asked, is there any reason why I can't go in? And he noticed that there was a, a side kitchen window open. And he said, is it okay for me to go in through this window and see if they're all right? And the police said, yes, go ahead, right? We can't do anything, but we won't stop you if you decide to do that. So he went inside and upon entering, he didn't notice anything unusual except that the air conditioning was on full blast. That's the first thing that he noticed. And that's really the only thing that was unusual that he noticed, right? So he walked around and he noticed that three of Gypsy's wheelchairs, which were all the ones that she possessed, they were all still at the residence. So without the use of these wheelchairs, without these wheelchairs, she, she's helpless. He also said that he walked around the home and the only thing that he noticed was that Dee Dee's bed was a mess. That was it. He said it was dark in there, the windows were tinted, all the lights were off, the AC was on. So he just left. And the police that said, well, you know, maybe they had to leave in a hurry, whatever the explanation is, they're not here. So before we dive into the events that unfolded on that fateful summer day, we need to discuss Gypsy's medical conditions. So Gypsy's father stated that as early as three months old, Dee Dee had become paranoid about Gypsy having sleep apnea. And in addition to that, there were a wide range of other medical conditions that Dee Dee had also claimed Gypsy was being affected by. Many of Gypsy's family members they also talk about how Dee Dee wouldn't allow them to babysit. They wouldn't allow, she wouldn't allow them to be alone with Gypsy. And this included Gypsy's father. So Dee Dee always had to be around D Gypsy. She was never allowed to be alone. At around age five or six, Dee Dee also claimed that Gypsy had several seizures, that she had epilepsy, severe asthma, sleep apnea, eye problems, and leukemia. Because of all the different medical conditions that Gypsy had, she had to undergo lots and lots of surgeries. One of these was a biopsy to test for muscular dystrophy. Now, briefly, it was explained to me that when they do this biopsy, they actually take almost like a skin graft, but it's like a muscle graft. So they carve out a piece of your leg to do this biopsy. It sounds absolutely insanely painful and it almost makes me sick to my stomach to think about that. Due to the medication that Gypsy was given, she drooled on occasion. So that leads me to believe, and a lot of other things lead me to believe that her mother was 
giving her medication that would sedate her, right? I think that her mother was giving her medication that was keeping her sick. And that's, that's the evidence that I've seen. That's what it, it appears to me. So because of this sedation, because of the medication that she took, she drooled. Now, this caused doctors to have her salivary glands removed, which in turn, in addition with her seizure medication, this is most likely what caused Gypsy's teeth to rot, and she had the, she had the majority of her teeth removed. In addition, Gypsy also had a feeding tube that was painfully changed on a regular basis, and she had various other surgeries, including eye surgery and tubes inserted into her ears to help with her hearing. At around age seven, Dee Dee put Gypsy in a wheelchair, claiming that Gypsy had chromosomal defects and muscular dystrophy. And that's what we talked about just a second ago, that muscle grafting was because of the, mus uh, the muscular dystrophy that she was claimed to have. Shortly after, they moved away from her father. So shortly after all of this, they moved away from her father. Every few months to years, Dee Dee would relocate further and further away from Gypsy's father. The pair ended up in Missouri, which is roughly 11 hours away from where she was born, from where her father and his family lived. You know, this whole separation from her extended and even, you know, her immediate family, it, it's, a, it's a red flag. There's something wrong to, like, in, there's got to be something wrong in order for you to cut off your entire family like that. Another red flag was Gypsy's mother hiding her age from her throughout her entire life. Now, the first time that we really hear about this or we really see any evidence of this is on Gypsy's 18th birthday. Her father, Rod, called to wish her a happy 18th, right? As you do, happy 18th birthday. Before he could speak to her, Dee Dee reminded him that she didn't know her real age. And she said that Gypsy still thought she was 14 and telling her the truth would only upset her. Now, I'm not sure. I think Sweet 16 is a pretty big deal um, in most countries. I don't think it's really a big deal in Canada, but it probably is in North America in terms of, um, you know, the United States. But I, I feel like maybe he just... Maybe maybe he just missed her 16th birthday, or maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure, but I feel like how would, like, it's difficult to look at it and say, well, how would he have not called her for her 16th or her 17th? Why, why is it specifically her 18th? Maybe he had called her before and wished her a happy birthday, but he didn't discuss her age. I'm not sure. But anyway, he said that, uh, you know, this one instance that he can remember, he called to say happy birthday you know, you're 18, and she said, don't, don't say anything. She actually thinks she's 14. So now we arrive at the night that Dee Dee is lying in her bed, face down, with her disabled daughter in the next room. As Dee Dee is lying in her bed, somebody climbs on top of her, repeatedly stabbing her in the back, and as she screams out Gypsy's name, begging Gypsy to come and help her, begging Gypsy to call 911, begging for help. Someone lands the final blow when they slash her neck repeatedly. Dee Dee Blanchard eventually becomes quiet and stops breathing as her blood pools around her 
and soaks into the bed that she lies on. You remember those Facebook posts we spoke of earlier? Well, police tracked this activity of posts and comments to the Gota John's residence. This residence was home to a young man by the name of Nicholas Gota John. He was Gypsy's new boyfriend, and Gypsy was found up in the attic at Nick's parents' home when a whole SWAT team landed on their front door and kicked in the door, storming into the house and arresting everybody in the building. And this is where they found Gypsy alive and well. Remember, people were worried about Gypsy because she didn't have her wheelchair, or any of them, any of her three wheelchairs. So she, she couldn't walk. She's completely helpless. You have all of these people saying they're helping her move around. They're helping the family, and Gypsy is paralyzed and cannot move her legs. So they found Gypsy in her boyfriend's home miles away. Police searched Nicholas's bedroom after his arrest, and in his room, they found a large sum of money, a large sum of money, which was stolen from Dee Dee's bedroom. They also recovered the murder weapon that was used to murder Dee Dee Blanchard. Now, it appears at this point that Nicholas had mailed this murder weapon. He had placed it in an envelope and he put a stamp on it, and he wrote his own address, and he sent it to his parents' residence. At the trial, Gypsy shocked not only her friends and family, but the entire nation as she walked into the courtroom of her own volition. So many friends and family members gave them money to support her medical expenses. They physically moved her from her wheelchair to the couch, or from her wheelchair to their car or her car. They physically picked this woman up, who they believed to be a young girl, and they would put her onto the couch or into a car or wherever she needed to be at the table, wherever. So many people were absolutely devastated that they were deceived for so many years that this young girl is actually a grown woman. And not only that, she's not paralyzed. She can walk. So many people were deceived into believing that Gypsy's medical conditions were real. And now remember, Gypsy was constantly put under the knife. You know, eye surgery, leg surgery, stomach, ear surgery. She was forced to use her wheelchair and act as if she was disabled and take medication, which most likely was keeping her sick and sedated. Now everybody is upset, devastated, distraught that they can see that Gypsy can walk on her own two feet, that she is not paralyzed, that she does not have muscular dystrophy, that she does not have leukemia, that she does not have all these illnesses. But Gypsy had been lied to her whole life. Gypsy is also a victim in this story. Well, I'll leave that up to you to decide by the end of this, but, you know, Gypsy is not completely withheld from harm. Dee Dee had created illnesses that she could use to get sympathy from charity organizations and family members, and she kept Gypsy sick for monetary gain. Her illness paid for their vehicle, for their home, for trips to Disneyland, to Disney World. It's fascinating to see how Dee Dee manipulated her daughter and manipulated everyone around them. One thing that was a mystery until the trial was Gypsy's actual age. We now know that Gypsy was born on July 27, 1991, which makes her 30 now. 
Gypsy was told that she was born in 1995, and in fact, her birth certificate actually said 1995 because her mother had changed the 1 into a 5. When she found out her actual age, she was under the impression that she was 15 years old, but she learned that she was actually 19. Her mother had lied to her about her age, dressing her younger, and and keeping her in a childlike state of mind. Now, remember that Gypsy was completely and entirely separated from society. The only interaction she had with people was when her mother was there. When Gypsy would go out with friends, Dee Dee would do a lot of the talking. When Gypsy and Dee Dee would go to the doctors, Dee Dee would do all the talking. When they would do interviews, Dee Dee would do all the talking. And you can see sometimes in these interviews, I'm not sure if I'll get to this later, I might bring it up again later, but you can see in these interviews that when Dee Dee and Gypsy are sitting at, a, you know, they're sitting on the couch or sitting at a table and they're giving these interviews, you can see that they're holding hands. And if you look close enough, you can see that when Gypsy says something, Dee Dee is almost, she's squeezing her hand. It's almost like a Morse code, some sort of, some sort of, signal some sort of connection that she has with her to keep Gypsy in line. You know, when Gypsy says something that's a little too much, she'll get a couple squeezes of her palm from Dee Dee and that means, you know, quiet down or that's enough or, you know, don't go overboard. Stick to the line, stick to the script, stick to what we practice. So this whole idea of Gypsy going out and dressing up, it's more about, it's more than just connecting with people, it's escaping from her mother. It's escaping from where what she's, this, this torturous situation that she's in. It's a sad thing to see, but it's even more sad to see how things played out. You know, it's difficult to be in that situation. Sometimes you don't have options. I would think that Gypsy had some options, but I think that Dee Dee manipulated her enough that she believed that she didn't have any options. Now, when we look at the conditions that Dee Dee kept Gypsy in, what we see is that Didi suffered from a condition known as Munchausen by proxy. Now, Munchausen by proxy, it's deliberately causing or fabricating, you know, creating physical or psychological symptoms of illness in a child or a dependent. These symptoms are often fabricated or created, imagined by a parent or a caregiver, generally. Munchausen by proxy is also sometimes known as fabricated or induced illness by carers. Now, these made-up illnesses, they most often lead to invasive medical procedures, hospitalizations, and needless surgeries. Now, we'll see as we go throughout this episode that Dee Dee Blanchard saw the fabrication of Gypsy's illnesses mainly as a way to gain attention but also as a way to gain financial stability. And as we go through and we discuss Dee Dee's history, we'll also see that Dee Dee is somebody who sees something and doesn't work for it. She just takes it. Munchausen syndrome is pretending that you have an illness, while Munchausen by proxy is pretending your dependent has an illness. Now, a few symptoms that are present in caregivers or, or parents who suffer from Munchausen by proxy, a couple of them are, they're usually the child's primary caregiver. They often present initially as a good carer or a good parent. They're usually, you know, accomplished liars or manipulators. They're good at manipulating the doctors 
and the family members that inquire about the child or the person that they're caring for, they're usually the ones consistently present with the or or associated with the onset of the child's symptoms. So when the person who's caring for these individuals when they're not there, these symptoms or these these medical conditions are not reported or they they may begin to improve or you know mom's not around so gypsy walks kind of thing right mom's not around so gypsy doesn't have this issue that mom thinks that she has and that's one of the reasons why it's important for Didi to to stay close to gypsy to remain close to her so that the the sham doesn't unravel around her they also may have a history of self-induced symptoms or or they may exaggerate their own illnesses they may have mental health evaluations indicating they are normal so it's not something where you know Didi was a crazy cat lady or she's a hoarder or she you know she's one of those weirdos that peels off pieces of styrofoam and eats them you know she was like a relatively well-rounded well-adjusted normal person whatever normal is these days they may also have no prior involvement with child protection services, which may make them less empathetic to what um, they are putting the, the people that are in their care through. They may also appear to be overprotective. And one thing that we'll probably get into in a little bit here is they may have a background in the health profession, such as they are a doctor or a nurse. and. That is something that would allow these people to convincingly, convincingly have doctors believe what they're saying about these illnesses, have their family members believe what they're saying about these illnesses. And in Didi's case, she did have a little bit of background knowledge in nursing. Lastly, these individuals, they may seek publicity or attention from a variety of people. And in this case, Didi did exactly that. She was always at the forefront, right? Always in interviews. You know, and you can see that it wasn't Didi let Gypsy give an interview. The two of them did it together. When Gypsy accepted awards, Didi was right beside her. When she gave speeches or when she went to schools for special presentations, Didi was always right beside Gypsy. Now, something that we see in this specific case, this specific case of Didi and Gypsy, we see that Didi puts herself, she puts in serious effort to distance herself from Gypsy's father, right? The whole moving away further and further and denying her to, or denying him to allow Gypsy to know her age, etc., right? Along with this, you know, she used a few of these tactics that I'll dive into in a sec. She, she used these tactics when she was approached by healthcare professionals. You know, a lot of these doctors and nurses and other people that would care for Gypsy they realized that something didn't add up. So Didi would change health professionals frequently. And if that didn't work, she would deny all or part of what they have done, even if there's overwhelming evidence. So for example, with the, with the muscular dystrophy test, her mother said, you're wrong. You know, that test is wrong. There's something wrong with your test. We're going to find a different doctor. Now, Another thing that Didi did was shift the blame onto the doctors or those accusing her of mistreating Gypsy. 
Now, a fun fact about Munchausen by proxy, I don't know how many fun facts you can have about a devastating medical condition that destroys families. <laughs> I think this is probably the only time I'm going to laugh this episode. But just a, a fun little tidbit that I learned while uh, watching some documentaries about this and actually some documentaries about the, the angel of death. I believe that was her name. It was a nurse in the UK, I believe, who murdered several young children. But um, just an interesting fact, the name Munchausen by proxy, it derives from a German cavalry officer, Baron von Munchausen, and he was around from 1720 to 1797. So he lived a pretty good life. This officer, he was known for his larger-than-life stories which were almost always untrue. So he would just, he, he would travel around and he, uh, he traveled, he traveled a lot and he had all these crazy, fantastic, fictitious stories. And that's where Munchausen by proxy comes from. Thank you again to our sponsor, Poker.Game. If you've heard about the metaverse, poker is ahead of the trend with the rollout of their metaverse coming soon. Poker is the first blockchain-based, free-to-play, play-to-earn, non-gambling poker game where you earn NFTs. It uses TRNG technology and Unreal Engine 4 for immersive and powerful gameplay. Poker is currently past their second beta round of testing and plans to launch on platforms such as iOS, Android, Windows, and streaming platforms with intended support for next-gen VR. The integration of NFTs within the gaming sphere is the future, and poker will become one of the first to introduce NFT rewards within its metaverse. If you are interested in online table games, the upcoming metaverse, or you're a crypto or NFT enthusiast, check out poker by going to p-o-l-k-e-r dot game. Let's crack into another Tweed Houndstooth and Soda Sativa Cannabis Beverage. The Houndstooth and Soda, it's good. I really enjoy the effect that it has on me, but the taste leaves something to be desired. It's not, it's not like a formidable, uh, you know, disgusting taste. It's just like a little bit weedy. It's a little bit grassy. But it's kind of, it's a little bit off-putting to me, but I kind of enjoy it. Yeah, it's good. Ooh, and it's fizzy. Bah, bah, bah. It's a good drink, but I think if they added some lime or something to that, I think it would really go over well, or some lemon or something. They need a, they need some flavoring in this houndstooth and soda, but it's, it's a good drink. Not only did Didi gain money from charities, churches, and government programs, she also took money from Gypsy's father to pay for medical expenses. So Rod, Gypsy's father, he claims that it was over $100,000 over the years that he supported Gypsy and her mother. Now, I'm not sure if this is medical expenses alone because he also paid them child support. Either way, Dee Dee got a lot of money from him. She got a lot of money from these charities, churches raising money. The free home, the free car. Again, Dee Dee was using Gypsy, basically torturing her so that she could have 
everyone pay attention to her and say, you, you are such an amazing mother. I don't know how you take care of Gypsy. Now, when we look at Dee Dee's background and we look at Dee Dee's mother, her mother was guilty of Munchausen by proxy as well. Her siblings recall that their mother was extremely overprotective. Dee Dee was always in the hospital and her mother claimed that Dee Dee had a heart murmur, so Dee Dee wasn't allowed to play with the other kids. She couldn't help with chores. Her siblings reported that her mother would say, oh, you know, it's too warm out. Don't let Dee Dee outside. She can't go play with you. You know, if the kids would be playing with Dee Dee and Dee Dee would get too excited, her mother would say, oh, be careful. She can't get too excited, right? So Dee Dee was smothered by her mother. She slept in her mother's room when all the other kids slept in their own bedroom. She was also, as, as they grew up, she was also gifted with vehicles and presents. She had her college tuition paid for. She was given the best clothing. She had everything provided while her other siblings had to work for anything that they wanted. And, and all of these things, like I said, all of these things were never given to the other members of the family. I personally believe that all of this attention that Dee Dee received growing up, it was the real reason that she put Gypsy through years of torture. Because of Gypsy's illnesses, Dee Dee was once again the center of attention. People always spoke about how amazing Dee Dee was in terms of her caring for Gypsy. They always spoke about how Dee Dee sacrificed so much to care for her sickly, ill, disabled, deteriorating daughter. Now, just for reference, Dee Dee's full name was Claudine Ann Petrie, and everyone just called her Dee Dee. According to her father, Dee Dee's mother, Emma Louise Petrie, she had commonly taken to theft and, pre and petty crime throughout her life. And this included acts like shoplifting, writing fraudulent checks, and Dee Dee later followed suit, committing the same crimes as her mother, but she went a step further by stealing from family members, and when her mother Emma was ill, she withheld food and care from her. Some family members also claim that Dee Dee attempted to poison her stepmother. Now, like I said, Dee Dee had some education in nursing. She had a bit of a nursing background. So she was able to study these illnesses and convincingly show that Gypsy had these illnesses. She also stated, conveniently, that all of the medical records for Gypsy were lost in Hurricane Katrina. One of the doctors she saw claimed that he did an MRI and saw, or whatever tests he had to do in addition to the MRI, and he saw that Gypsy's muscle mass was normal and there was no reason why she shouldn't be able to walk. Like when, when, you, when you are unable to walk, your muscle mass decreases. When I first got sick, when I was first diagnosed with my illness, uh, the first few years, I really didn't move around much and I took a huge hit in how much exercise I was getting. I was going from running around like the whole, like, the whole day, every day for the whole week, for years, you know, walking everywhere, working where I had to walk back and forth, playing sports. And I got, I got sick and I was laid out for about at least a year. And the doctors were very concerned because my, my muscle mass decreased. And that's something that I had to come back from. But in Gypsy's case, her muscle mass didn't decrease. Her legs were fine as if she had been no using them normally. 
which is just a huge red flag right there. So after he told them, or well, he didn't tell Gypsy, he would tell Dee Dee. So after he told Dee Dee that there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to walk, her reflexes are fine, her muscle mass indicates that she is walking, Dee Dee then stormed out yelling at him and she said she would never return. Now he did state in his report that Gypsy and Dee Dee may be victims of Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy, but he failed he failed Gypsy. He failed to reach out to Child Protective Services. And in one of the documentaries, he says, you know, in the future, I will have to try harder. Yeah, no kidding, buddy. So after discovering her age and realizing her mother was manipulating her, keeping her sick and sedated, Gypsy attempted to break free from her mother's prison. She met an older man in his mid-30s at a convention and she confided in him what her mother was doing, and he offered to help. Now, the people that he was staying with at the time, they were actually acquaintances of her mother, so obviously they called her mother to tell her where Gypsy was. Now, Dee Dee went straight over, and she berated the man, telling him that he had basically abducted a 15-year-old, so the man was fearful of being charged, and he let Dee Dee take Gypsy home. And he let Dee Dee take Gypsy home. When they got back home, Dee Dee smashed Gypsy's computer, destroyed her phone, tinted all of the windows with that, that window tint that we mentioned, and chained Gypsy to the bed. Not only that, but she put bells on all of the doors so that she would hear anyone leaving or anyone entering the home. Gypsy also claims that around this time, Dee Dee began beating her. And at this point, she physically abused her, beating her with a coat hanger, starving her, and emotionally abusing her, just hurling insults at her, calling her a slut and a whore and a bitch. She says this was almost like a punishment for running away, and it lasted about two weeks, where her mother beat her, starved her, and hurled insults at her. Now, if you want a glimpse into what this time in her life would be like, I highly recommend that you check out the movie Run, starring Sarah Paulson and Kiera Allen. Run was definitely influenced by Gypsy's story, there is no doubt in my mind. It's a, it's a work of fiction, but it is definitely, it, it, it was emotionally uh, compelling to me, and I think everyone should check it out. I thought it was a great movie. Now, Gypsy's phone was destroyed, her computer was destroyed, but she began using her mother's computer when her mother was asleep. She would log on to various dating sites, and one that she frequently used was a Christian dating site, and this is where she met Nicholas Godijon. So remember, this is the boyfriend that murdered her mother. So Gypsy regularly reached out to her neighbor, who was one of her only friends, and in a couple of the documentaries that I watched, a couple of the specials that I watched and the interviews that I checked out and read. Her friend says that they were basically like sisters. And at one point, this friend lived across the street from her. And then she had moved to a different town with her boyfriend. She still remained very close with her and they communicated over Facebook. So she spoke to her friend about a boy that she had met and how they had already began planning a winter wedding that they had discussed what they would name their future children. And I believe it was 
I believe it was very creative. They were going to name their future children, their future child, if it was a boy, Nicholas Godijan Jr. So things are getting pretty intense with this dude pretty quickly. Now, this young man, Nicholas, he was diagnosed with autism and Asperger's. And with both of these conditions, individuals have a difficult time socializing and understanding social cues. And in Nick's case, his brain functioning was similar to that of a 15 or 16-year-old. And when we talk about Nick, he, he told Gypsy that he had multiple personality disorder and that one of his personalities was named Victor. Victor. Victor was his evil personality. In police interviews, Nick claims that he used to hear voices, but that these voices have now become a part of him, that he was taking medication. and he was, you know, taking this medication so that he would subside these voices, that these voices wouldn't be overpowering him anymore. But at one point, either he stopped the medication or these voices just took over completely. And now they're a part of him. That is terrifying. I don't know if I would tell anybody that if that was the case. Keep these things to yourself. Because even if you are crazy, you should at least try to hide it. You don't want people to know you're crazy. I'm pretty fucking crazy, but I try to hide it. Another thing that Gypsy mentions in a lot of interviews that she does is that Nick claimed that he had psychic abilities. So when she told him, hey, I can actually walk, I'm not disabled, my mother is like torturing me and forcing me to be in this chair, he said, oh, yeah, I know, I'm fucking psychic, baby. I'm fucking psychic, baby. So to go along with Nick and his multiple personalities, I think that this is the wrong way to do it. If someone says you have, they have multiple personalities, you should not do this because it's fucking weird. Gypsy created her own personalities. She would send Nick suggestive photographs of her different personalities in different outfits and different wigs. Some of them were Ruby, which was her evil personality to match Victor, and she wore a red wig. And another was called Candy, and Candy wore a rainbow wig. In the photograph that I saw where Gypsy references that this is Candy, where she's dressed up like Candy, she's also very scantily clad and she's wearing just like a a bright pink bra, nothing else. So, you know, that's all well and good, except for it's not well and it's not good. It's very unwell and very weird. But, you know, another thing that's weird, and we'll just throw this out there just to show you how weird Nick is, Regardless of any mental illnesses or medical conditions that he has, uh, this is super weird behavior. Uh, He had a criminal record, and you probably won't be able to guess what the charges were. Now, I'll, I'll just give you a hint. He was in a McDonald's eating area for over nine hours. So right now, you're probably thinking loitering charges, right? Like he's just been sitting there forever, and they want the cops to come and take this guy out of here. Nope. Did you give up? This man was in the McDonald's eating area for nine hours, watching porn and fondling himself. That, to me, sounds like boyfriend material. There's nothing more I want in a partner than the stamina to be able to look at titties in a McDonald's eating area for not only an entire shift of the McDonald's worker, but an hour of the next person coming on to work. That is, is really something that I can't wrap my head around. Nine hours of this guy 
playing with them. So that's a lot. So Gypsy was like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's do it. So Gypsy and Nick decided that they would meet face to face. They decided to meet at the movie theater of all places. Always a good spot for a first date, somewhere where you cannot see the other person and you cannot speak to the other person. (laughs) So they met at the movies to watch the new Cinderella. The plan was that Nick would introduce himself to her mother. They would hit it off and they would watch the movie, the three of them. Now, obviously, this plan backfired. When Dee Dee thought about how creepy and weird it is that a 19 or 20 year old man is at a Cinderella movie striking up a conversation with a woman and her disabled, a quote unquote, 15 year old daughter, quote unquote, because she's not actually 15, but that's what she's perceived to be. So if we think about this, if you're 20 and you're striking up a conversation with a mother who's there with her daughter who's 15, it could come across as a little creepy. Despite this, Gypsy told her mother that she was going to the washroom and she snuck out to meet Nick. They decided that they would have sex with Gypsy losing her virginity. And of course, the best place to lose your virginity is in the sticky, the sticky popcorn pea-soaked urinal. Hopefully it wasn't a urinal, hopefully it was a stall. But the best place to lose your virginity is in the Cineplex bathroom. If your feet aren't sticking to the floor when you first have sex, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Now, after catching the two of them together at the concession stand, so they finished their sticky business, Dee Dee, she was angry, and she took Gypsy to a a remote location, and she slapped her in the face after calling her some names. Shortly after this, Gypsy and Nick, they began discussing Nick's promise of protecting Gypsy from any harm. And now this, this is when a plot began to form. Gypsy essentially told Nick that my mom won't ever let us be together. If you really want to be with me, then my mom needs to be out of the picture. After this conversation where Nick agreed and he said, I worship you, my queen. I will slay the dragon for thee. The couple began researching different methods of murder, including poison and arson. Finally, the two of them settled on Nick murdering Dee Dee by attacking her with a knife. Nick had said, um, I'm not really good with guns, but I can sure as hell use a knife. And Gypsy said, I can't poison her. I can't burn the house down. I can't kill my mother. It has to be you. So Gypsy went to Walmart and she stole a hunting knife. And this is the knife that they use. On Wednesday, June 10th, 2015, Nicholas Godijohn arrived in Springfield, Missouri. At approximately 1.15 a.m., he texted Gypsy, asking if her mother was a light sleeper. As he stepped up to the house, he slipped on a pair of gloves that Gypsy had left outside the front door. Once inside, Gypsy handed Nick a roll of duct tape and the hunting knife that she had stolen. At this point, Nick's evil personality Victor was the one pulling the strings. As Nick walked into Dee Dee's room, slashing and stabbing her repeatedly, Gypsy cowered in the bathroom, most likely regretting the decision that led her to this point. As Nick stabbed, slashed, and cut Dee Dee Blanchard, she screamed and begged for her daughter Gypsy to help. 
and Gypsy's response was to cry in the bathroom, cowering and covering her ears. When Dee Dee Blanchard was taking her last breaths, the couple raided her bedroom for cash, and Gypsy packed a bag, and they checked into a hotel. They spent the night together having sex and using pills throughout the night. Afterwards, they took a bus to Wisconsin to Nick's parents' home. Upon arriving, Gypsy felt remorse for leaving her mother in her bedroom to slowly decay. Now, going back to those Facebook posts that we mentioned a few times, Gypsy had actually written those herself. And this was in the hopes that Dee Dee's friends would become alarmed by these posts and these comments, and they would call the police to remove her mother's body and, and take care of her mother's body. It seems to me that they both assumed that people would just think somebody broke into their home, murdered Dee Dee, hacked their Facebook account, and then had written on their Facebook. That, that doesn't make any sense. How does that make any sense? That doesn't really make any sense to me. Who's going to break into somebody's home, commit a murder, and then write about it on the victim's Facebook page? Doesn't seem very logical to me. You know, actually, that, that's, something that, that's something I could see Richard Ramirez doing, though. Like, if, if Richie was around right now, and he was out and about, I mean, I think he's still around. I don't know if he died or not. I can't remember. Um, episode 8 and 9 cover Richard Ramirez and his crimes. Just saying. But if he was committing these acts now, if Richard Ramirez was attacking people, murdering and raping, I could see, given his history of stealing food and pissing in people's toilets and leaving all sorts of evidence behind, I could see him writing on someone's Facebook wall. He's just stupid enough to do that. And now I've pissed off all of the Richard Ramirez fangirls that have subscribed to the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> So in 2015, facing a first-degree murder charge, which comes with a term of life imprisonment, Gypsy Rose Blanchard pled guilty. She agreed to a plea deal. She pled guilty to the Class A felony of murder in the second degree. Gypsy was sentenced to 10 years in prison, and she will be eligible for parole in 2024 when she will be 32 years old. So, all in all, like, in terms of Gypsy's case, we'll, we'll get into it here, and we'll talk about how Gypsy, you know, what, what Gypsy's life is like in prison in just a second, but like one of the people that were interviewed in some of these documentaries, like one of them said, at least it has a happy ending for Gypsy. You know, think about it, right? Like, obviously, 10 years in prison, that's a big chunk of your life to lose. That's a big chunk of your life to never get back. But she'll be 32 or, you know, like 31, 32 when she gets out, if, if she does get parole. So, I mean, you know, really, she's 32. She still has a long way to go in her life. I think that the best option for her was to take that plea deal. A few years after Gypsy's sentencing, Nicholas Godijan was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. And he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. So. 25 years is quite a bit more than 10. That's a, that's a chunk taken off your life. And I believe, that, I believe that Gypsy is in like a minimum security prison, but Nick is in a maximum security prison, and he's been in several maximum security prisons. So 
I don't think Nick is having a good time in prison. On the other hand, while in prison, Gypsy has developed an interest in cosmetology, photography, and she's preparing to take her GED. After the release of the HBO documentary Mommy Dead and Dearest, a man known only to us by his first name Ken, he reached out to Gypsy. And after becoming pen pals and speaking with Gypsy for probably, I would hope, years, maybe months, hopefully not just days, but after becoming pen pals and becoming close to one another, they've gotten engaged. So I think also something to note is that Gypsy now has a connection with her father and her father's family. So she, Gypsy wasn't allowed to really speak to her father or have any sort of relationship. Now that she's free from her mother, she can. She can connect with her father and other family members that she couldn't before. And now, I'm going to say this, she can connect with the ones that forgive her for murdering their sister. You know, the ones that will accept the fact that Gypsy was in extenuating circumstances and was pushed to a breaking point. It's not an excuse, but it's reality. So, before we leave this episode, I already talked about the movie Run, uh, how I would, I would recommend the movie Run. It's a really powerful movie, and it was, it was a really fun movie to watch. You know, that's, that's a weird thing to say about somebody that was tortured and held captive, but it was, really, it was a really interesting movie to watch. I really enjoyed it. And it was most certainly inspired by Gypsy's real-life story. But another movie that you should check out is Mama. Mama, Mama doesn't really focus on the idea of Munchausen by Poxy as much as Run does. Like, Run is specifically about that. That's the main plot point. But Mama, it's like a side plot. It's a side story about Munchausen by Proxy. Finally, the show that I would recommend, the series that I would recommend that is most like Gypsy's real story is The Act. It's a 2019 series starring Patricia Arquette, one of my absolute favorites, Joey King, Calum Worthy, Chloe Savini, another one of my absolute favorites, and Anna Sophia Robb. Now, like I said, Patricia and Chloe are some of my absolute favorite actresses. They are such incredible actors. Phenomenal. And, you know, they're incredibly talented. They're captivating. Anytime these two are on screen, they demand your attention. And Patricia shines here. She does such an incredible job as Dee Dee. She makes you feel like you should empathize with her. And you want to feel for her, even though... You can see that Gypsy is Dee Dee's prisoner. You can't help but feel for Dee Dee, you know, in this series. Patricia does an amazing, amazing job. The, the toxic relationship that they share is deeply profound and, it, and it's really impactful here. It's, it's just such a fascinating connection that the two actors have here. There's some references to real life events like the scene where they're high on pills and they're filming each other in the bed or the scene where Gypsy was interrogated. Those are all very realistic and true to life. They did a very good job of, you know, making the series as a whole uh, as realistic as possible. When we look at the script and the settings and the mannerisms, they, they match the recorded events, like the interrogation, for example, almost perfectly. Like, the actors that worked on the series, the, the directors and the writers, 
they all did an amazing job. Phenomenal. It, it was, it was just like, it was incredible for me to see, like looking at documentaries, looking at actual police footage and, and evidence that has been released and then watching the series and seeing them make use of that in the series was really awesome. Now, Joey King, she plays Gypsy and she pulls out all the stops. She speaks in the same squeaky voice as the real Gypsy when, when she was under Dee Dee's care. She has that same squeaky little voice. Caleb Worthy does an absolutely phenomenal job with his portrayal of Nicholas Godajohn. He, he really captures a lot of Nick's mannerisms. He had to have watched Nick's interrogation video because that interview was like a shot-for-shot remake. Like, it was spot on. I really thought that the act overall was an amazing series and it truly captured the impact that Dee Dee's mom and that Gypsy's mom had on this case. So, Dee Dee's mom and Dee Dee herself. The series really, it, it pulls you right in from the start. It, it's kind of, it's kind of like slowly unraveling as Gypsy begins to question her mother's actions. It follows a relatively straightforward timeline with some non-linear storytelling thrown in to add a little bit of tension throughout. But for the most part, it's, it's a straightforward timeline. The last couple episodes of the series, they delve into the history that Dee Dee had with her own mother and we briefly see her commit felonies and there's a lot of references or, you know, a few references to her criminal history and her past. I think that personally my favorite scenes were when the couple were happily fleeing back to Nick's mother's house and Sergey Gainsbourg and Bridgette Bardot's Bonnie and Clyde played in the background. I'll have to, I'll have to put that somewhere on Twitter or something so you you know what I'm talking about but you should look that up it's 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 a really fun song and when they were fleeing back to Nick's place and that was playing I thought it was really fun I enjoyed how they included their neighbors and friends in the final episodes and I really enjoyed how the show explored how those close to Gypsy and Dee Dee would have felt being betrayed and deceived for so long another really good actor in this was Cliff Chamberlain. He even sounds the same as Gypsy's father, Rod. It's crazy. He looks and sounds the same as Rod. When I watched Mommy Dead and Dearest, you really couldn't help but empathize with her father, Rod Blanchard. And Cliff really nails that same energy. Like he really nails that energy of a father that has been deceived and is just distraught that he couldn't be there for his daughter. I'll say that the, the series as a whole uh, was really gut-wrenching. Even though Dee Dee was portrayed as malicious and almost villainous at times, you still felt some empathy for her. Despite her skewed perception of a loving parenting style, nobody deserved to be m- brutally massacred like that. And like I said, the series really built pressure from the very beginning, but the tension and the brutality in the last episode was so profound it's, a, it's an amazing series, and if you're interested in learning more about Gypsy and Dee Dee, or you're interested in really feeling that connection more so than you can get from me talking about it, check out The Act, check out Run, check out Mama. Those are all great series and great movies that you really should check out if you're interested in learning more about this. 
Like I said, we used the HBO documentary Mommy Dead and Dearest. And we also used Gypsy's Revenge, which is an investigation discovery documentary. There are also four different articles and resources that we use, so we'll put those in the description as well. I just want to say thank you all so much. We have some sponsors for this episode. We're going to have, try to have some sponsors in the future. The way that you can support this show and support myself and support everybody here at The Cabinet is to go and support our sponsors. They mean a lot to us. One more thing before we leave you today. We're really excited about some stuff that's coming up in the future. In January next month, we are going to be launching subscription services on Spotify and we're going to be launching a Patreon. So in our Patreon, we're going to, and in our subscription service as well, we're going to have bonus episodes. We'll have our Bullhorn Live episodes and we're going to have bloopers. We're going to have mystery minis, which are small little tidbit episodes that we're going to have opposite to our full length episodes. So every other week we're going to have those. So keep your eyes open, check out our socials, and check out Spotify and Patreon for The Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. We're going to have tons of awesome stuff, including some exclusive patron subscription merch that's only available on Patreon. So look out for that. This episode is produced by Death Hotel Creative, hosted by myself, Dr. Mystery. To view more and to grab your exclusive Camden of Mystery merch, visit us at notwhatwesay.com, check out our Instagram handle at Cabinet of Mystery, or our Twitter at OpenTheCabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can hit us up either on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and appear in upcoming episodes, you can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash cabinet of mystery. For sources on this episode, please see the episode description. The Cabinet of Dr. Mystery is a proud member of the Slash and Cast podcast network. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe or follow for more episodes.